Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 18, and stand with me this morning. I sent Charles a memo this morning. Pastor Charles, I told him to wear khakis and a blue shirt and a blue blazer just so I could say publicly that I'm twice the man he is. No, twice. It's a joke, like size, girth. Oh, never mind, people. Yeah. I just don't think that was nice what he said about Charleston. It was such a yeah, yeah. Went to a restaurant the other day. Instead of giving me a, a menu, they gave me an estimate. So I'm going back after I lose my, my weight, and I'm going to get that worked out. Might as well laugh. Okay. Matthew 28, beginning with verse 18, we continue our series on our mission statement, Win the Lost, Disciple the Found, Mend the Broken, and Send the Whole. And our mission series is What of the Mission? Last week we spoke, uh, two weeks we spoke on What of the Lost. And now I want to speak this morning on What of the Found? Uh, I've received a lot of feedback from people that said that was one of the most convicting two messages in my life that I'm doing a lot of noble, godly, good things but that does not equate preaching the gospel and the command is to preach the gospel to win the lost. There is no winning anyone by your smile and your vibes and your encouragement through memes. It's the preaching of the gospel. And then this week, I want to talk to you about the responsibility of the found. What of the found? Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them which means to instruct by word of mouth to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You'll hear a lot of preachers in transition times of service or in their message say, God is with you always, even to the end of the age. Yes, but the context is, while you're doing what I called you to do, remember that I'm with you in the doing. I'm with you in the sowing, I'm with you in the watering, I'm with you in the harvesting. Go into all the world, John Wood, and preach the gospel and make disciples of all people. You can put your name in there. Go into all the world and make disciples. Go into your workplace. You might have to do it on break or at lunch or afterwards, but use that relationship to make disciples. Use your influence to make disciples. Go into the world and make disciples. Maybe this is where the verse fits in in Luke 6, where Jesus said, And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do the things that I say? Go make disciples. Y'all, it's going to be hard plowing today, but it's going to be so beneficial and fruitful to our soul. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. Like we behold ourselves in a glass and we go, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. But then we just go to lunch and forget about it. But all you have to do is prepare yourself. And if you've already been prepared, to start. To just do it. Can I share this with you very quickly before you're seated? It seems to me that we as a people gravitate more to the relational side of our discipleship than the responsibility side. Love one another, be kind to one another, serve one another, fellowship, have hospitality one to another, confess your faults to one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. But these rudimentary interactions are more like manners than mission. Our calling is to disciple the found. The others are assignments as well, but the mission. What if we have all of that and don't disciple the found? It's not enough to share the gospel. It's not enough to bring them to faith. We must also come alongside taking the necessary time and spending the necessary resources to raise them up. He did not tell us to go into the world and make converts, but he told us to go and make disciples out of those who come to faith by the gospel. There's a world of difference between having a baby and raising a baby. Two totally different things. 
maybe that is one of the primary reasons we see so few people saved in our churches. Firstly, we do not faithfully and accurately preach the gospel to them. And when we do, maybe God, who knows all things, is not willing to watch them come to life only to see them die on the pew in the church. Uncared for, malnourished, and unprotected. This is important. This is critical. And if we are to please the Lord, we must deny ourselves and lay down our life and preach the gospel and disciple those that are found. Would you pray with me as I pray for myself this morning? Lord, we're in the last minutes of the last hour before your return. And some of us need to make up a lot of ground. But we can do it. We can turn into an evangelist overnight. We can turn into a teacher overnight if we are willing to pay the cost. To rearrange our priorities, turn some things off, get some things off our plate, and focus on being an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know you'll be with us if we do that, even to the end of the age. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Discipleship is like adoption. How many of you have adopted? Beautiful fraternity. How many of you have been adopted? Okay. You can have a baby by accident, but you can't adopt by accident. Discipleship is you choosing to reach out, to cover, to embrace, and finance the raising of someone who in the beginning was not yours. And God has given us the spirit of what? Adoption. Not just being adopted by him, but the inclusion of other people. My message will be very simple this morning. Three points. Lay down your life. Lay down the truth and lay down the excuses. If you're taking notes, that's how easy that is. Taglines, if you will. Number one, I want you to turn to one other portion of Scripture here, if you will, with me. 1 John chapter 3. Turn in your Bibles. And guys, could we put that on the screen? 1 John 3, 14 through 18. And by the way, while we're turning there, I get reports from all over. You know, we've got a lot of different people in a lot of different places on their journey. But people are coming to faith in this local assembly. They're coming alive. They're stepping out of darkness into light. They're stepping out of blindness into spiritual revelation. They're at their pace, but God is bringing them from glory to glory. And that's a beautiful thing. Amen? But for us this morning, I want us to look at this, this portion. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we've passed from death unto life. Why? Come on, read to me. Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Well, I go to church. I, just, I, just, I, I get it online. Is what I, I, and there's no, Listen. I thank the Lord for our streaming. There are those that can't come, but you've got this person 32 years old and, you know, working two jobs and healthy and got six cars and, you know, everything he wants to do and say, well, what, what do you, I, I just get it online. Well, I know you get online. Where do you serve? Who do you serve? The Bible says that if we love not the brethren, we abide in death. And if we hate our brother, we're a murderer. And we know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Look at verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God. How do we perceive the love of God in us? Because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's how we perceive the love of God in our heart. We perceive the the spirit of God in our heart by fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. How do we prove, what's the evidence that the love of God is in our heart? It's when we love our brethren, the church. 
For whosoever hath this world's good and seeth his brother in need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Not just temporal good, we're to share. We know that. We teach our children that. Well, if you got two of something, you share with that person. You got two cookies, give them one. And, you know, they, they measure it out or if there's one piece of cake. Oh, I've got a free one for you for advice for those of you new parents and you're trying to split stuff. If you got two kids, let one cut and one pick. You ain't never seen 50-50 like that. They laser. And then the other one like, oh, Lord. That's just free right there. That was... Yeah, where was I? Hold on. So we teach our kids, if you have something, share it. You have been taught, preached to, instructed, brought along, encouraged, trained. Over the years, many of you in churches, your whole life, who are you sharing that with? It's not a button that we wear. It's, it's, it's a perpetual in line, passing on all that I've learned. There's a responsibility, and it's love that drives us to do that. Many people don't know that the Salvation Army was started by a man named William Booth who saw people lining the streets drunk in the streets with all, outside of all the taverns, and he didn't really know what to do. So he beat a drum until the crowds gathered and said, we've got to do something to help these people. Listen to your pastor. Love will always find a method, but methods do not always equate love. What are, we, what are we doing with the pent-up love in your heart for the brethren? The professing church often ignores it till it evaporates. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. And if I see someone in need, a new person that's struggling, did you forget what it was like? Don't fall on me. Did, did you forget what it was like when you come to faith and all the winds are swirling around you and you're losing friends and it seems like you're invisible and you don't know how you're going to make it? Do you remember that all it takes is one saint to step in and go, you're okay? You're okay? And to walk them through that. But if I'm coming in the sanctuary late and leaving early, and my primary, primary reason for coming is me. No wonder we're not making disciples. We're just growing big and old. Yes, you're supposed to get filled up when you come to church. Absolutely. Why? So that you who have substance can give to others. If I see you in need of teaching, I can teach you. If I see you sick, I can lay my hands on you and pray the prayer of faith because I know that God honors it. If you need a ride, I got a car. If your family needs a ride, hey, we got three cars. Have one of our. You see what I mean? It's the, the building up. God did not give you the home you have for it to sit empty. Uh-oh. God did not give you the possessions that you have so that you could make... Uh, a certain status and join a certain club just for the sake of joining. Could it be that he is building a silo in your life so that you might distribute to others? And if we can understand it on the monetary side, why can't we understand it on the spiritual side? Some of you have such a rich heritage. You have been taught and been educated far past your obedience. And that which we have has become stale and dry and dead because we didn't share it with others. Lay down your life. It's the evidence of new birth. I just read it to you. We know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. You can't have new life and not see them and not love them and not serve them, and not share with them. I say this not to be crass, but I've heard uh, from women that when they're 
a mother when they're nursing, the sound of another baby, even when they're done nursing, and they'll start to lactate. Their, 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 their body will say, the baby's hungry, and it don't have to look like me for my body to say, I ought to do something. Why is it that we've stopped caring and we don't look in our wallet and we don't look in our soul to see what we can do to make the difference? The Bible says, having compassion, making the difference. You're not the answer, but you are the difference. The difference between uncertainty and certainty between confusion and clarity, you can step in and say, this is what the Lord says. Let me train you. Let me equip you. One of my favorite illustrations I lose often is, you know, the man in the, uh, going through Lamas with his wife. I think it's funny. I, you know, if you did that, it's wonderful. I just, I just think it's funny. And he does all the classes, and he gets on the floor with the pillow, and he, and he does all that with her. But get to the room. Get to game time. And he's in the room, and they go through. He's been taught. He's been trained. And he's looking at the monitor, and, you know, she's having contractions that would, you know, make you levitate. She's having them. And he sees the little monitor. He goes, oh, 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 baby, here comes another one like she don't know. You know, she's looking at him. She said, would you somebody get catfish out of here before I? No, he needs you. Hey, you need to breathe like you need to leave like now. And then her mama or someone else that's had a baby comes and sits beside him and says, look at me, darling. This is normal. You're okay. You're going to have some more contractions here, but we're, we're not there yet. Look at me. Look, I had three. I had three. Some were easy, some were not. But look at me. You're okay. You're okay. How is it that in that moment, that voice is able to calm what the male doctor and the husband and everybody else couldn't reach because they have the experience to match the need. Do you see? We have the, the, the key. We have the eternal life. We have the Spirit of God. We have the Scriptures. And we can step in any dark situation and says, the Lord says, the Lord says, the Lord says, Lay down your life as a reflex of gratitude. It says in verse 16, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. See, we love the phrase, lay down my life for God, but what does that mean since you can't see him? I'm going to lay down my life for the Lord. What does that mean? It's got to mean more than to stop drinking, smoking, uh, doing dope, and sleeping around. Laying down my life has to be more than what I'm not doing. It must include what I am doing. And he tells us, look in your Bible right there, verse 16, uh, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I'm going to give up from my substance to make sure you're okay. I'm going to give up my time to make sure that you're okay. I'm going to, in essence, prefer you to myself. And that's where you lose Christians. Because we want to measure out the $1 or $2 to the guy at the interstate, that mentality, at the church. These new Christians that you tip with your time may not make it. Can you imagine a nursery? Maybe you've seen it with screaming children and all the helpers in the front room playing on their phones at the daycare. And any sane person would walk in and say, do you not hear these babies? You know, I love you. I'm putting myself in there with you today. You don't hear the new Christians you don't hear them crying. You don't hear them confused. The world is insane. And they just want to know the truth. And you can sit them down and point right to the answer. And tell them, say, look at me, I've lived this. 
but you can't, do, you can't disciple without laying down your life. When you share the gospel, you make yourself vulnerable for a moment. When you disciple, it costs you your life, your time, your energy, your resources. It's a reflex of gratitude, I told you. If God laid down his life for us, shouldn't my effort, I can't pay him back, but shouldn't it resemble what he did for us? He said, as the Father sent me, what? So send I you. Go do for others what I did for you. It's a matter of surplus. I told you, he that hath this world's good and seeth the brother in need and doesn't help, shuts up the bowels of his compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in him? It's a matter of sonship. Look in your Bible, verse 18. My little children, verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word and speech only, but in deed and truth. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? I, I preached a sermon one day, a hundred years ago, on the older brother syndrome. And I talked about the older brother who's often ignored or neglected. So the son comes home and the father is so happy. And he says, go kill the fatted calf and put, put my robe on him and put shoes on his feet because my son that was lost is now found. My son that was dead is now alive. And they began to be merry. But the older brother tipped out. He didn't come to the party. Do you know what, do you know what the, 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 the signature of the older brother's heart was? He wasn't happy about what, what, what made his father happy. And he didn't dance when his father played music. And it came out. He said, look at all this to do for this new convert. Here I am. I'm laboring in the house. And they've wasted all their substance with riotous living and spent all that he had on prostitutes. And now he comes back home and, 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 and you're just going to make all this to do about him. Watch, I'm getting there. I don't understand what's the big deal. This house is not supposed to be about him, but it's supposed to be about me and my faithfulness and me staying home. And the father said, all that I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. You're not going to run out by giving it away to him. And in heaven, you'll see that the only thing you're going to be rewarded for are your works. There's no reward for character, for works. Don't worry about running out because I have plenty and all, I have an unlimited source, and all that I have is yours. Oh God, may we open our eyes to see how uh, we measure out pennies to people in the church instead of giving them our very best. It's riddled all through the New Testament. Go look at it. Jesus said, when you're going to go have a banquet, stop inviting all your friends who make what you make. Oh, how about this? You don't have to pick the opposite of you, but pick the people that you might think might not get a chance or don't know a lot of people and take them to lunch. What would happen to your life and if you said, okay, this year, every other Sunday, we're going to go to lunch with somebody we don't know. If you don't have the resources to buy theirs, say, hey, would you be interested in going Dutch? Where do you want to go? I just want to get to know you. You're just important to God, and I want to get to know you. How that would open your heart up, and you'd realize, hey, there's a whole church here. And at the end of the year, you compare yourself to the one that came in late and left early or got their church at home. I can't get my church at home because you're not at my home. Now, I'm not a martyr at all. Listen, I'm an unprofitable servant at best, provoking myself to stay diligent to the return of the Lord. But you know what my gift is to you? I don't get to go to church. I teach you. You don't owe me nothing. You don't owe me nothing. I love you. It's a joy. It's kind of like the mama that cooks for Thanksgiving and you tell her more people are coming. She goes, bring them. 
I done prepared for 34 more than we have. That's Kelly's mom. There's like 11 of us, and she'll have cooked for 61. And you go, what? You just never know. You just never know. We're taking food to everybody. <laughs> the Lord has blessed me so much. And I, oh, he has forgiven me for so much and has showed me so much that as long as there's a need for me to teach or preach, I want you to know with joy, I want to share those things with you. You don't owe me nothing. It's, it's, it's love for the brethren and gratitude for what he's done. And it's a matter of sonship. My little children, that's me. I'm not only a son, but I'm a servant. Listen, every servant is a son, but not every son is a servant. You, have to, you can't do discipleship without laying down your life. If you sit at the throne of your life, you're not going to make disciples. Because you've got to get off the throne of your life and serve other people. And it's a matter of investment. Verse 18b. Love not in word only, but in deed, in performance, employment. Make it work. And in truth, revealing the basis of and agreeing with the appearance of your calling. It says, don't just love in word, like saying you're in a love, but teach and preach and invest. Let me tell you something about discipleship. It is expensive. Your time, your resources, your reserves, your control, your best. People don't need you at convenient times. You don't get to schedule. Hey, I, I just love you, and the Lord's put us together. How about I just meet with you next Thursday at 1 and see if you got anything going on? Life don't work like that. You lose your control. Uh, <laughs> this was years ago. You know, all, all of y'all that white-headed like me, you know how everything seems like yesterday, and then yesterday seems like, a, but you can't remember certain things, and other things just clear as a bell. I remember being with a local pastor, and I met someone, and you know, yeah, I just, I just gave my, I rededicated my life back to the Lord, and Pastor John, there's just so much going on. I said, let's stop. Here's my cell, and I gave it to him, and it's, I mean, they didn't even start to walk away. He goes, ooh, I never give nobody my cell, and I, just stupid, naive. I said, why? He goes, because they'll call you. He was dead serious. He could blow your phone up. You won't ever get a moment's rest. And I said, I know. Now, before you feel sorry for me or think I'm noble, that's my reasonable service. Why? Because when I call him, he's available. Do you see how much that balances it out? Everything I share, he's shared with me. Everything I give, he's given to me. Every bit of being available, he was available for me. All I'm doing is mirroring what he's done for me. It's my reasonable service. Stop being a martyr over the basics. Yeah, you can have myself. Now, you can draw boundaries because some people talk the ears off a brass monkey. They get on and... As long as you need me, I'll listen. But when we delve into neurosis, I can, I can scale it back a little bit. See, I have to be real with you like that. You have to tell some people when they call us, hey, how are you? I know you're busy. I say, I, I got 10 minutes. Give it to me. And then I may have to go, but we make ourselves available. Listen, discipleship is expensive. Expensive. Time, talent, resources, energy. Uh, some people, y'all remember the movie Cocoon? That shows how old I am. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember them little eggs in the pool? And old people go swimming and they get young? You know, ugly people get pretty. Do you remember? No, they just go swim in the pool. and But the egg was glowing bright before all the senior citizens jumped in. And then if they're going swimming, the egg, egg kind of. The light's going. Do you remember that? You the egg. I'm serious. I see fellow pastors in there, and I'm not going to look at them. They got, and friends of mine, they'll come and swim in your pool and have the best time. Hey, hey, and they get off and towel drag. Thank you, Pastor John. Not a problem. You just, you got life sucked out of you. I mean, you're depleted, which is your 
reasonable service. I'm trying to show you that laying down your life for someone can't happen without you laying down your life for someone. And when Jesus touched people or they touched him, he said, virtue left me, which means I am this much less full after this interaction than I was before. Number two, lay down the truth. And there's so much we can say here, but can I just read a couple of them? And just When I say all the things that God has taught you, you need to teach them to disciple someone. The preeminence of Christ, who we are in him. I have to read this so I don't miss it, so just bear with me. I like to more talk to you than read, but we have to teach the preeminence of Christ, who we are in him, and our command to love him above all else. We have to teach them about our search for truth, to know the truth, to obey the truth, to love the truth, to preach the truth, and contend for truth. And Jesus is the truth, the inerrant scriptures. We need to teach them the denial of self and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We need to teach them about uh, consecration and sanctification. Sanctification is the believer when he comes to faith. He separates himself from the world. And consecration is their separating unto God. Two, so, two separate things that create one full thing. I have to separate from the world. you got to tell them. you got to come out. You can't go partying. Those friends, you don't have to judge them. Judge you. They're too, that group is too strong for your new faith. You've got to come out and find your identity outside of all your high school pictures. Come on, let's go. Sanctify yourself and then consecrate yourself unto God. You need to tell them about the presence and perils of sin, of pride and unforgiveness and immorality. And then tell them about conviction. The reason you're miserable is because this is going on in your life. And then tell them about repentance and how thorough repentance is. It's not just confession. It's turning away from that sin and walking away from it and putting distance there. And then tell them about the joy of forgiveness and how there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and how the sins are forgiven. God doesn't remember them anymore. Tell them about the priority of God, the things of God, the people of God, the church of God, and the Bema seat of Christ whereby we will all be judged. Give them a biblical worldview and an eternal perspective. Teach them the beauty of serving, of generosity, of caring, and kindness and compassion. Tell them about the reality of spiritual warfare, about the armor of God and the fearlessness of the believer. Speak to them about all things relating to prophecy and where we are on the timetable of God and the imminency of the return of Jesus Christ. Teach them spiritual disciplines, reading the word, applying the word, memorizing the word, your prayer life, your devotional life, uh, your, your life in a local church. I want to be as clear as I know how to be here. Don't tell me you love Jesus and you don't love his bride. Don't, no, stop it. Well, I just, I just love the Lord. I, me and the Lord do it. Stop it. Stop it. I'm not brilliant, but I'm too well-versed to fall for your kindergarten theology. This is the church of Jesus Christ. The body of Jesus Christ. Now, this is sobering. You can group me in there with you, so I'm not talking down to you just because I'm on a stage. These person on your rows are as close as you'll ever get to Jesus before heaven because they're his. How I treat Mark and how Mark treats me has way more to do with... How Mark Walter treats me has way more to do with who my father is than who I am. See, I got to love you. I got to give you my best because you're my father's children. I'll use Charles twice today. Charles and I, we're good. We're connected. We're, you know, like precious faith, similar theologies, uh, God's hands on our life. Let me grab one of Charles' babies. Just, just grab, come here, and grab his little girl like that. First of all, <laughs> he's not going to say, Pastor John, may we talk? Charles, Charles had hit me so hard, I'd be the only boy in heaven in a wheelchair. I'd be like, I'd be like Charles did it to me. Char Charles. Okay. Now let's, because that's his. 
Now let's flip the other way. If I want to love him and his family, I love his babies. Those, those of you men especially, you ain't got to love me, I'm good. You love my babies? And those of you that greet my babies with kindness and give them little gift bags and little cards and, and, and you do that, listen, you don't know the eight-year-old. You know the father and the mother of the eight-year-old. Why can't you grasp that in the church? These are your heavenly father's children. Hey, ride with me. Come with us. I got time. I got room for it. Come on. Come on. And pour into them. They don't have to be newer in faith to you. They can be equal to you. But we disciple each other, sharing life and sharing knowledge. Love the local church. I love the local church. My friend Kim writes uh, about church. She goes, I love my church. Wherever the Lord has, I love my church. I love my church. Why? Because I love my church. The local church is the hope of the world. It's the hope of the world. This is the huddle. It's not the game, it's the huddle. Uh, where you come in and you encourage, you exhort, you teach, you train. And we say, okay, guys, in just a minute, we're about to dismiss. So win the lost, disciple the found, mend the broken, and send the whole on one. Ready? Break. And we leave. There are people that have been in this church 20 years, and they think the church is the game. <laughs> this ain't no, this is just training camp. This is practice. This is the huddle. The game is out there. And then we bring in those that we've loved to, to hear the gospel. We bring in those that need to be healed and that are broken. And in one moment's time, God can turn it around for them in this house or outside of this house. We need to teach them of obedience, how to obey immediately, to obey wholeheartedly, to obey joyfully. And we need to teach them about the cost of disobedience and lukewarmness and compromise and explain communion. That's, that's just a quick list I wrote down. Here's what I can tell you. If you're a student of the word and you've walked with the Lord, all that you've learned and all that he showed you, show other people as you see the need. You see a new Christian. Y'all, Facebook is, uh, social media has changed the, the rules of the Christian game. You'll be on Facebook and somebody dressed for a Halloween party and they look like the immoral nurse, you know, on Halloween. Oh, my goodness, you know. A little, little risque, just, just a little risque, you know. Uh, but instead of coming in with a Pentecostal clothesline and taking them out, how about this? How about that mama that remembers what it was like to be young and just get saved? They weren't raised in a preacher's home. And that mama builds relationships and said, can I talk to you as, as a sister, as an equal? She said, sure. And you explain to them that how God knit you and that you're beautiful in his sight. And, and you don't have to find self-worth by lowering your standard to a lustful appeal. You can be beautiful all day long and have a hundred guys compliment you, but in the right way. And let me just ask you, just about modesty. Let me, let me tell you what that looks like. But you, you listen for the Lord's, Lord's voice. And the next time that girl goes to get dressed, she's a brand new Christian. She doesn't know. She's standing in the mirror and the Holy Spirit says, not that one. And she starts to become a lady of grace because someone took the time in gentleness to speak to her about not, not being a stumbling block or a fence. And guys, too. Same way a guy would talk to another guy about pride. Or you can't love this world more than you love God. You can't love your business more than you love the house of God. Come on. And you encourage them with that. Or we can have dinners. We just don't disciple people. Who? Are you discipling? How often are you discipling? I know there's seasons to influence. If you start my music there, Josh. I know there's seasons to influence. But there's a lot of babies crying and nobody's getting up. It's 
time to lay down our excuses. There are three roles in discipleship. God's role, their role, and my role. Listen very carefully as I bring, because if you miss this, this is what ties it together. I can't do the God dynamic. I, I can't quicken them. Isn't it beautiful how God quickens people? Changes them in a moment. And they said, you know, I, I, and it could be small things like habits. You know, I, I drank for this amount of years or smoked for this amount of years or cursed. And John, it, I laid it down. It's gone. Every day, gone. That, that wasn't training. That was God. The God role. It says, I meet you where you at where you're at and I forgive you of your sins and I heal you of your diseases and I shatter bondages I set captives free see there's God's role in discipleship they draw near to him he draws near to them he's the author of this health wholeness life there's their role they got to participate but I'm the liaison I'm the earthly voice that reminds them of the heavenly voice. I'm the earthly barrier that reminds them of the scriptural barriers. I'm the earthly comforter that points them to the heavenly comforter. Watch. Kind of like when I needed a savior. Jesus took the hand of God and took my hand. And he became the daysman between us. Betwixt us. We take all that God is to us and has been to us and we give it to them and we fill in the low places we're not the Holy Spirit but we can sure share the Holy Spirit you see final thoughts Hebrews 5 says this of whom I have many things have much I want to say to you Paul said to the Hebrews and they're hard to be uttered because some of you are dull of hearing. By now, you ought to be teachers. But you're still having others teach you. Now, church family, I'm not beating up on you. I'm exhorting you as I see the day approaching. By now? By now? After all you've listened to and all you've heard and all you've prayed and all the years of knowing God, you ought to have a perpetual loop of people at different stages in their Christian life coming to you, being a part of you, that you monitor. Hey, I just had you on my heart. How are you? This last year, the Lord really touched my heart about that. I'm not a phone person. <laughs> just, and if you text me, I'm calling you because I'm sorry. I, I hope this doesn't mean we're not friends. It's just math. It's not easier to text. It's just math. Do the time. Do the time. You answer the phone. You hear their voice. You can hear they're glad to see you and you hang up. It's easier. It's easier. Just. So my mentality on the phone is be creative, be brief, and be gone. That's, that's how I do. How are you doing? Good. You know, that's just my own neurosis, you know. Um, so what do you do? I lay down my life and I spend my ride to the church and home from the church, checking on widows, checking on people, a lot of them outside this church that I have a role and I have influence over because I'm responsible to them, but not for them. And I want the Lord to know that I'm looking after your kids because they're important and they matter. Our problem is we can't teach what we don't know. We can't give what we don't have. We can't take others where we've never been. And we can't disciple others without first being a disciple who denies himself and prefers others. So where are you in this statement? Go and make disciples of all people. Okay, Pastor John, if I do that, that's going to turn over my apple cart. Yep. And it's also going to produce great rewards in heaven. Hey, Amy, can I come on Wednesday night? Can I give you the last 5%? Just the last little, just the last. And this is, 
You ever, aren't you glad that people can't read your thoughts like those little cartoons where it has the bubble above your head and you know you can just have your thoughts? They're not going to tell you this, but hey, Amy, uh, I'm at a place in my life right now where that's not so much my need. But can I sit at a table and be a voice for those women? Because he's brought me far. He's been faithful. He's been good. He brought me through depression. I'm a widow. I, I, one husband, you know, I had one that abandoned me. I lost the other one. And I got so much that I can share. And you're not seeing this because people don't tell you this. I, I don't need to come for me. Can I come for everybody else? Yes. <laughs> and whoever needs, Amy has the table set. There's discipleship going. But that's what takes a church from just staff doing something and the staff coordinating the body doing what it's supposed to do. She'll set up the tables, we'll put up the video, and you do the relationships. And what happens is the church grows. The church grows and in its influence grows. So just, just a minute in the Lord's presence and we're gonna pray. And Jason, I'm gonna ask you to come pray over us. Would you just bow your heads and we're gonna take an honest look and this is what I'm asking as your pastor. Don't be like the kids. You know, you tell your kids, did you do your homework? And you have to ask them every day. I'm asking you to do the homework and go home and spend time before the Lord and say, what, what do I need to do here? But I'm asking you this before you go home. Do you disciple people? Not just answer questions that are asked you, but do you see the need, initiate, and fill in the gaps for them, fill in the holes? Just with your eyes closed, Jesus did it for you. So you're going to take all that and not share it? Jesus was one ants, once was teaching on the Good Samaritan. And he said, see what he did? Go and do that for people. Give what you have and make them better. And in Christianity, you give what you have and make them whole. Start today. Start where you are. Don't try to start a ministry. Start ministering. Open your life up. Open your home up. It's okay to have boundaries. Open your home up. Open your wallet. Be as liberal with other people as God has been to you. And fulfill the Great Commission. When Jesus says to others, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say, may you be able to say with integrity, but I did, Lord. I disciple people so that we won't be ashamed at his appearing. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This message is too good not to share, and Christ is too good not to share. Would you stand with me this morning? Pastor Jason, would you come? Words like the message this morning uh, remind me of the first evangelistic sermon in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preached the gospel. It said those that heard it were cut to the heart, and then their response is, what should we do? Sermons like this provoke us unto good works. That passage in Hebrews, that word provoke, really means just irritate the fire out of you. Make like you to where you can't sit still. You got to go do something. And if the the messages that are starting us off this year aren't provoking you unto good works, 
check your pulse because like there's so much that rises up within you. Does anybody here feel like they're ready to charge hell with a water pistol? There's that that happens, right? And then there's a, a feeling of insufficiency because you can't give what you don't have. You can't teach what you don't know. So there's like, okay, I got to stay plugged into the source, but I'm ready, to, I'm ready to go rounds. So let us do that. Let us lean into this this year. Let us be champions of the mission statement. Preach the gospel, church family, so that we may win the lost, so we may disciple the found, mend the broken, and send the whole. Not that Christ's chapel would be great, but that Christ would be lifted up and exalted. Father God, we thank you for this message today. Lord, we thank you for for your son. We thank you for Holy Spirit, the empowerment. God, we are just in awe of your majesty and your glory, the simplicity of Jesus, how we were all once dead in our trespass and sin and are alive in Christ only through you, made new creations, Lord. And knowing that this news, this this that we have found is so good and too good to be hidden, we pray that we would be emboldened, encouraged, and not left alone or content. As the simple child song says, hide our light under a bush, but that we would go forward and preach the gospel, that we would be patient, sharing the truth and love, that we would count the cost and be willing to lay down our life lay down the truth and lay down our excuses disciple those new believers all for your glory we love you and honor you jesus and thank you for this time amen amen church family we hope to see you tonight don't forget five o'clock in the grill we're having corporate prayer six o'clock in the sanctuary Pastor John's preaching.